Welcome to Bathing with God. Listener Mailbag. Listener Mailbag. Hey, Quad. Hey, what? We have more questions from listeners. Yes, I know. And this one's a really good one. Yes, I know that too. Fantastic. So, since you already know everything about it, why don't you answer it before I even read it to you? Okay. Here is the answer. Listen to this. And in this process is one of the greatest remaining mysteries in science and philosophy. How does consciousness happen? Somehow, within each of our brains, the combined activity of many billions of neurons, each one a tiny biological machine, is generating a conscious experience. And not just any conscious experience, your conscious experience right here and right now. How does this happen? In the story I'm going to tell you, our conscious experiences of the world around us and of ourselves within it are kinds of controlled hallucinations that happen with, through, and because of our living bodies. Our own individual inner universe, our way of being conscious, is just one possible way of being conscious. And even human consciousness generally, it's just a tiny region in a vast space of possible consciousnesses. Our individual selves and worlds are unique to each of us, but they're all grounded in biological mechanisms shared with many other living creatures. So our experiences of the world around us and ourselves within it, well, they're kinds of controlled hallucinations that have been shaped over millions of years of evolution to keep us alive in worlds full of danger and opportunity. We predict ourselves into existence. Now think about this for a minute. If, if hallucination is a kind of uncontrolled perception, then perception right here and right now is also a kind of hallucination, but a controlled hallucination in which the brain's predictions are being reined in by sensory information from the world. In fact, we're all hallucinating all the time, including right now. It's just that when we agree about our hallucinations, we call that reality. All right, that was pretty cool, Quad, but what was that? That was Anil Seth from one of our favorite TED Talks, which we will be talking about a little later set to the remix of the Beatles Because that was created by French artist Diderda. Great, but what about our listener question? Do you want to share that with the listeners as well? I was already planning on it. This email comes from Jen. Jen says, Thank you for sharing that last chapter about Dumbo's black feather. I listened to it with my husband. We have both been feeling pretty down with everything going on right now. So we both really related to what you were saying about living in a pit of despair. But why do you say it is all fiction? Why do you say that we are only ever experiencing our own imagination and filling in the gaps of things we don't know? My husband lost his job during COVID. My 64-year-old mother got COVID, and for a few days, we really thought she wasn't going to make it. It was horrible. Thank God she did. But that also was not a fiction, and everything going on in the world right now is really taking its toll. It would be nice to think that none of it is real, but it is. Why do you think that it isn't? Thank you for the podcast. I bought your book, and I can't wait to see where this is going. Keep it up, Jen. Sequad, 
I'm not the only one struggling with this idea of yours that everything is a fiction. You're putting all of that on me, huh? Okay, whatever. So what do you have to say to Jen about fictions? Tell you what, Jen. How about we walk you through one of our favorite TED Talks, delivered in 2017. It's called Your Brain Hallucinates Reality, and it was delivered by Anil Seth, Professor of Computational Neuroscience at the University of Sussex. Let's listen to it together, and I'll stop it from time to time to tie what he's saying to your question. All right, that sounds good. Let's do it. So just over a year ago, for the third time in my life, I ceased to exist. I was having a small operation. My brain was filling with anesthetic. Wait a minute. What does he mean that he ceased to exist? What he means is that he ceased to be conscious. He underwent anesthesia for a surgery. And when you're under anesthesia, it's like you're not even there. All right, I got it. Go ahead. Anesthesia, it's a modern kind of magic. It turns people into objects, and then we hope back again into people. And in this process is one of the greatest remaining mysteries in science and philosophy. How does consciousness happen? How does consciousness happen, Quad? He just said it's a mystery, didn't he? But what makes you think that it happens at all? What makes you think that consciousness isn't the default nature of existence? I, I don't know. This seems like a topic maybe to tackle at another time. Sounds good to me. Let's go back to the talk. In the story I'm going to tell you, our conscious experiences of the world around us and of ourselves within it are kinds of controlled hallucinations that happen with, through, and because of our living bodies. Hey, Quad, what does he mean when he says that controlled hallucinations happen with, through, and because of their living bodies? He means that your physical body has sensory organs, your eyes, ears, etc., etc. These detect a portion of the world around you, send that data to your brain, and your brain then creates a picture inside of it, like a movie being projected onto a movie screen. He's going to tell us that the movie inside of our brain is like a controlled hallucination. Keep listening. He explains it further. Yeah, I, I will, but how does this help Jen and her husband? You aren't going to tell them that losing his job and her mom nearly dying from COVID were controlled hallucinations, are you? You aren't going to tell them that those things are fictions. No, I'm not going to say that they are fictions in the sense that they did not really happen. But I will say that the way they think and feel about what happened to them is a product of their perception of reality, which Anil Seth will be talking about in this TED Talk. So perhaps, when this is finished, Jen and her husband will understand how their experiences can be understood to be both real, objective, true things that happen to them, as well as being controlled hallucinations that happened with, through, and because of their living bodies. Controlled hallucinations that happen with, through, and because of our living bodies. Well, for today, I'd just like to think of consciousness in two different ways. There are experiences of the world around us, full of sights, sounds and smells, this multi-sensory, panoramic, 3D, fully immersive inner movie. And then there's conscious self, the specific experience of being you or being me, the lead character in this inner movie, and probably the aspect of consciousness we all cling to most tightly. Did you get what he just said there? He talked about the way we experience the world outside of us, 
sights, sounds, and smells. Those things that we are very aware of because of our physical senses. But there is also the world inside of us that we experience through our feelings and our thoughts. Those are the experiences that give us a sense of being an individual self. And in a way, that is a fiction right there. What is a fiction? The sensation of being an individual separate self. But we are individual separate selves. Are you really? How do you figure that? Well, take Jen's husband, for example. He lost his job. That means that one individual separate self, his boss, told another individual separate self, Jen's husband, that he no longer had need of his individual separate services. How is that a fiction? It is a fiction because you are only focusing on a part of the story and you are ignoring the rest. Wait, what am I ignoring? You are ignoring the undeniable fact that Jen's husband is a human being that is made out of energy. Every atom, every cell, every muscle, every breath he takes, it is all energy. And what's more, it is all a single energy field that is also his boss, and also Jen's mom, and also the coronavirus that infected her. It is all the one energy doing many different things. That is simply a scientific fact. But it doesn't really matter because Jen's husband still lost his job and her mother still almost died from COVID. Why doesn't it matter? Because it doesn't change the fact that those things happened and it certainly doesn't make it a fiction that they happened. Calling it a fiction simply means that they are only focusing on a sliver of the whole truth instead of the entirety of the truth. It doesn't mean that that sliver isn't real. Fiction means that you are ignoring the bigger picture. And how would it help them to focus on the bigger picture? Well, that's really up to them. But what about you? Would you feel less threatened or afraid of life if you realized that you are made up of eternal, indestructible energy that is quite naturally, quite effortlessly doing everything that you see around you, including you and all of the bodily processes that are required to keep you alive? And all you really need to do is eat and sleep and experience what you experience. Yeah, that sounds like an oversimplification that actually makes me feel a little nervous. Interesting. I wonder if that's because your brain is a prediction engine, and when you can't predict a future that is completely safe, you start feeling a little nervous. My brain is a prediction engine? Yes. Let's go back to Dr. Seth for this one. Let's start with experiences of the world around us and with the important idea of the brain as a prediction engine. Now, imagine being a brain. You're locked inside a bony skull trying to figure what's out there in the world. There's no lights inside the skull, there's no sound either. All you've got to go on are streams of electrical impulses which are only indirectly related to things in the world, whatever they may be. So perception, figuring out what's there, has to be a process of informed guesswork in which the brain combines these sensory signals with its prior expectations or beliefs about the way the world is to form its best guess of what caused those signals. The brain doesn't hear sound or see light. What we perceive is its best guess of what's out there in the world. Wait a minute. Did he just say that our brain is always making guesses about what is out there in the world, but it's based on incomplete data? Yes. But that incomplete data is also compared to every similar experience you have ever had and every conclusion you have ever reached or believe that you hold about what those experiences mean to you. 
But yes, it is electrical impulses being compared to other electrical impulses in a body that is made of energy in a world that is also made of energy. You make it sound like we're living in an electronic simulation. Maybe that is simply how the energy of life has evolved. You don't normally think of yourself as a series of electronic binary codes that are interacting with and trying to make sense of other electronic binary codes. And most people don't really stop to think about how confirmation bias truly shapes their experience of the world. What you expect to see and hear shapes what you actually see and hear. Listen to this next part and see if that makes sense. Here's one more example, which shows just how quickly the brain can use new predictions to change what we consciously experience. Have a listen to this. Sounded strange, right? Have a listen again and see if you can get anything. Still strange. Now listen to this. I think Brexit is a really terrible idea. <laughs> Which I do.、Um, so you heard some words there, right? Now listen to the first sound again. I'm just going to replay it. Yeah? So you can now hear words there. Once more for luck. Okay, so what's going on here is, is the, the remarkable thing is the sensory information coming into the brain hasn't changed at all. All that's changed is your brain's best guess of the causes of that sensory information, and that changes what you consciously hear. Now, all this puts the brain basis of perception in a bit of a different light. Instead of perception depending largely on signals coming into the brain from the outside world, it depends as much, if not more, On perceptual predictions flowing in the opposite direction. We don't just passively perceive the world, we actively generate it. The world we experience comes as much, if not more, from the inside out as from the outside in. We don't just passively, don't just passively the perceive the world, we actively generate it. This is worth repeating. We don't just passively receive the world, we actively generate it. The world we experience. Comes as much, if not more, from the inside out as from the outside in. Does this help you understand why ten people can witness the same event from ten different perspectives, and each one comes away with ten different versions of what they all experienced? Which one of them is true? Which one of them is false? Aren't they all true? Aren't they all fictions? Aren't they all just individual slivers of the entire whole truth? Now think about this for a minute. If if hallucination is a kind of uncontrolled perception, then perception right here and right now is also a kind of hallucination, but a controlled hallucination in which the brain's predictions are being reined in by sensory information from the world. In fact, we're all hallucinating all the time, including right now. It's just that when we agree about our hallucinations, we call that reality. <laughs> Now I'm going to tell you that your experience of being a self, the specific experience of being you, is also a controlled hallucination generated by the brain. Now this, you know, this there is more to this TED talk, and there will be more episodes of this podcast. So let's stop it here to wrap this up for today. How do you feel about what he has said about reality? What did he say about reality? He said that reality 
is the word we use to describe a commonly shared hallucination. Yeah, I don't know. What about objective reality? What about the things that actually exist, whether I believe that they exist or not? You mean like the fact that you are the same energy field that is everyone and everything else? Whether that is something that you believe and weave into your confirmation bias of the world or not? Now I think you're just being snarky. Maybe you're right, but I hope this answered Jen's question. Hmm, good point. Can you maybe sum it up for her here just to avoid any potential confusion? She wants to know why you called these things that really happened to her a fiction. Can you wrap this up in a neat and tidy bow? I call them fiction because there is more going on than the tiny sliver of reality that you were able to experience, predict, and perceive. These things really happened, of course. There are real consequences as a result of them happening. Fiction does not mean that it is not real. But the most valuable thing I can tell you is that you could, if you wanted, tell yourself another fiction that is also based on facts that are real, but still does not convey the complete story. For example, you could recognize yourself as the one energy that is interacting with other versions of the one energy. And you could recognize that this one energy does not and cannot destroy itself or threaten itself in any way. It simply changes its form. You, being very attached to the form of that one energy that you experience as you right now, fear anything that threatens that identity. But how do you know that the one energy that is in every cell of your body, in every thought, in every action, in everything that is both inside of and outside of you, how do you know that this one energy does not record in some kind of advanced biologically evolved database every part of the experience of you that you have ever experienced? It's all electronic signals, isn't it? All electronic signals made out of indestructible eternal energy? How do you know that this one energy does not exist outside of space and time as well as inside of it? How do you know that the electronically stored bits of memory of you will not exist forever, have not already existed forever, and that this one energy could run the program of your existence anytime and in any number of contexts as it wanted? How do you know that the things that you fear are real threats to your existence? Can you see that the way you hallucinate reality and create stories about what it means is based on variables that you really have no knowledge of? Why choose the fiction that you currently choose? Why not choose another fiction that could take away some of the fear you experience as a living brain that is a prediction engine that can never quite predict what it needs to predict in order to feel completely secure? You call that wrapping it up with a neat and tidy bow? No. I call it an invitation to use your imagination to stretch the limits of your current understanding. Fair enough. And I also call it fun. And I hope that you do too, Jen, and your husband. Thank you for writing in. Thank you for listening to Bathing with God. If you like what you just heard and would like to purchase a print or Kindle version of the complete book, search for it on Amazon.com or go to the website bathingwithgod.com. And if you really, really like what you just heard, 
share it with someone you love, and give me a five-star rating on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you use. You can also like our Facebook page and subscribe to the Bathing with God YouTube channel. And if you'd like to reach out to me personally, you can email me, Glenn Osland, at bathingwithgod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And probably so would Quad. Oh yeah, bring it. Thanks again for listening to Bathing Bathing with with God. God.